You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. All right. So last week we started with our first uh, inning of this nine-inning uh, series this summer with opening day. And what we began with was a discussion about the church, like what is the church? And what I really want us to understand is that the church is not a building. It's not stained glass and steeples, pews and pulpits. It never was. It never should have become that. It's not. Church is a group of Christ followers, people who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and they participate together in what Jesus asked them to do. That is a church. It can meet anywhere, at any time, any place, but a group of Christ followers who then join together or partner together in what Jesus asked them to do, to live in obedience to the life that Jesus has called us to. So the point that I wanted us to understand last week is that church is not a spectator sport. If we look at the first portrait that we have of the church in Acts chapter 2, it's very obvious that the church, those Christ followers in the first century, were actively engaged in participating together. It's not something that they stood back and watched once a week. It was a, not a spectator sport, but is it in fact a team sport. Now, every time you go to a sporting event, baseball, football, soccer, There's two participants. There's fans in the stands, and there's the players on the field. Today we want to talk about fans or players. Now, I know our frame of reference this summer is uh, baseball, but I've often heard the church described as uh, being like a football game. Church is like a football game in the sense that there's 22 players on the field desperately needing a rest, And there's 22,000 fans in the stands desperately needing some exercise. All right, so there's a difference between players and fans, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Interested? And I want to tell you from the very, very start of this message. Today we're going to look at one of the scariest passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And that's saying something, because there's a few places in the Bible where we read about things that are really, really unnerving and unsettling, especially if you stop to think that what God has said, he will actually do. You know, I think it's interesting in our current culture, what we're seeing in society, There's a lot of people who live their lives as if, well, that stuff that God said, that's just fable, that's myth, that's just stuff that's been made up through the years, that God, God wouldn't really do some of the things that are described in the Bible. There, there's this sort of uh, hope these days that somehow, you know, God's gotten soft over the years. That maybe, and you know, because his popularity is waning in our culture these days, that somehow they're just banking on the fact that God's going to say, you know what, and maybe I was just grumpy back then. Oh, that was sounding a little harsh. I would never do some of the things I said. God, no, I've changed. I've gotten soft over the years. You guys just relax. I'll never do what it is that I said I'll do. Some people banking on that. 
I'm watching in our culture, in our society, people who are starting to own God's love as being the rescue from anything that they might choose, any way that they might live. And they're thinking, you know what, if if God is loved, then he'll accept me as I am for whatever I do, whatever choices I make. And what we're hearing a lot in the discussion these days is, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus loved everybody. He was nice to everybody. He was kind to everybody. I mean, just look at some of the people that Jesus hung out with. He accepted everybody and everything. And so if you Christians, if you're, if you're going to be loved like Jesus, then you'll accept me in whatever way I might choose to live my life. And here's the problem with that is that Jesus was God. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And yes, Jesus was all about love, but as God, he was also about holiness and righteousness and justice and those attributes of his love, his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. They live in equality with each other. His love never supersedes his holiness. So the truth of the matter is that there's many things that God has said and that Jesus declared that they will in fact deliver on. And today we're gonna look at one of those. And it's scary. But here's what I want you to understand. The best of my ability, I want you to, I want explain this to you and I, I really need you to hear it. As I share this, not to scare you. I share this to warn you. I'm not interested in scaring you because that's just manipulative. It's just an intimidation tactic. And I don't think it's becoming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not my way. It's not my style. I don't don't want to ever do that. But as a shepherd, as a pastor of a church family, I have a responsibility before God to warn people so that they can hear the information. And then here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's the arrangement is you're adults. You, you, you guys are quickly becoming adults. You're young adults. And you're all intelligent and you're capable to make choices based on the information that you hear to decide what you're going to do with it. And, and I'll leave that choice to you but I would be shirking my responsibility if I didn't inform you of something that Jesus said that has enormous implications. In fact, it has eternal consequence. So I'm sharing it with you today to warn you. I'm just drawing it to your attention so that you can take a few minutes of some serious self-reflection And consider your response and your responsibility to what it is that Jesus had to say. Does that make sense? But before we do that, before we look at that passage, I want to set a little bit of, of the backdrop. So Jesus, at around the age of 30, he comes onto the public scene as a rabbi in first century Jerusalem. He wasn't the only rabbi, he he was one of many. But he had an invitation. 
he had an appeal that he was making. And everybody he met in all sorts of different situations, he made this one request. And that was that he wanted people, sorry, um, he wanted people to come follow him. Come follow me. And what he meant by come follow me is I want you to come and learn a way of life from me. And we know that at least 12 young men took Jesus up on his invitation to come follow him. And what that essentially meant in that culture is Jesus as the rabbi, them as disciples, they were apprentices. They were coming alongside of Jesus as a rabbi to learn a way of life that he was teaching. And Jesus had a particular way of life that his rabbis would be invited to follow. And that was that he would teach them a way of faith. He would teach them a way of submission. He would teach them a way of humility. He would teach them about a life of love. And he would teach them about a life of being a servant. That if you want to follow me, it's going to be about a life of faith and surrender or submission. It's going to be about humility. It's going to be about love. And it's going to be about servanthood. So it's interesting. On one of the occasions, Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, he delivered this particular invitation to two brothers named Peter and Andrew. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, what do we know about Peter and Andrew? Peter and Andrew were fishermen. That's what they did for a living. That was their occupation. So every morning they got up very early. They went down to the shores of the, the Sea of Galilee. They got in boats with nets. They headed out and they fished all day. They caught fish. They'd bring them. They'd clean the fish. They'd take them to the market. They would sell the fish. That is how they put bread on their tables. And it was all about catching fish and making money so that they could provide for their families. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me and I will make you not fishers of fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus's invitation to come and follow him included the prospect of change, a shift, a different way of going about living your life. And so he was going to take the normal everyday situations of their life, Peter and Andrew's life, and he's going to, I know you're a fisherman, but I'm going to change all of that to where your perspective, your attitude, your values, your priorities are going to shift if you follow me. And it's not going to be about fish anymore. I'm going to ask you that now it's going to be about the other guys in the boat with you. It's going to be about those people that you encounter in the marketplace. It's going to be about the families and the friends that you have, now it's going to be about them. I'm going to change your perspective to where you move from making money to loving people. I want you to follow me in that kind of a life. And it'll be a shift and a change. You've looked at things one way for your entire life to this point, but now I'm asking you to follow me and we're going to look at life differently. And here's some of the shifts that are going to happen. We're going to move from a life that's built on success, like winning and achieving, and I want you to start looking at life as significance. What are you doing that truly matters? 
Not as the world measures, but as God measures, something that will last for an eternity. What are you doing with your life that is significant, not just successful? Jesus says, I'm going to change a life from just trying to impress people to actually having an influence in their life because that's done completely different than trying to impress them. This is all about self. This is all about something else. This is about Jesus and his words in their life. We're going to move from achievement to making impact, to making a difference in other people's lives by the way that we treat them and love them. And we're going to move from the the pursuit of power, and I'm inviting you to become a servant, somebody who serves others rather than expecting them to serve you. And finally, we're going to leave this whole myth of fame, and we're going to talk about leaving a legacy where it's not about the promotion of self, but it's about the promotion of others and leaving some sort of an impact in their life that will last for generations to come. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So today, I wanna consider the question, are we fans or are we followers? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Because there's a big difference. So let's jump into one of the scariest passages in the Bible. And if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter seven. This is in the heart of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the one place in scripture that we have like an entire message that Jesus preached to a crowd of people. Some of those crowd, some of those people in the crowd were his disciples. Some of them were just people who were curious and interested in what Jesus had to say. We're going to pick up the passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. This is not a popular road. You won't find a lot of other people traveling on it. Jesus said this, watch out for false prophets. People who seem to say all the right things, but they're deceiving you. They're misleading you. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing and they look like you. They act a little like you. They use all the same words as you, but inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. Jesus said, how do you recognize them? By their fruit you will recognize them. The evidence of their life, their words, their attitudes, their values, their behavior. Jesus asked, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down, it's thrown away in the fire. So important lesson here, by their fruit, you will recognize them. 
You hear that? By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, here it is. This is where it gets scary. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that day when they stand before the living God, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, we drive out demons and we perform many miracles. Don't you remember all the things that we did for you? I mean, can you imagine hearing this? Then I will tell them plainly, meaning I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm not gonna make it socially acceptable. I'm gonna tell them plainly, I'm sorry, I never knew you away from me. You evildoers, I don't want anything to do with you. Now, without any theological gymnastics, if we read this passage as the words of Jesus, it sounds like, it seems like there are some people who will spend their entire life believing something to be true only to find out in eternity that it wasn't. And then it'll be too late. That evidently, if Jesus is telling us the truth, it's possible to spend your entire life convinced that you are right with God and to find out when all the chips are down that you're completely wrong. It's possible that I could spend my entire life believing something to be true, but to then stand before the holy living God and find out that I had deceived myself. Standing before God on the precipice of eternity is no time to find out you were a fan, but not a follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? Standing before the living God, heaven and hell weigh in the balance. You arrive there believing one thing only to find out that you had deceived yourself. And it doesn't matter how loving God might be in his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, he cannot be inconsistent. So all through the Bible, all through the teachings of Jesus, all through the teachings of the New Testament, we read about bearing fruit showing evidence that what I believe in my heart is true to the point that it now becomes a way that I go about living my life. Look, Jesus said it on one occasion. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, produce fruit. Live your life in such a way with the characteristics that demonstrate, oh, I changed my heart and my mind about what I believe to be true about Jesus. 
I had lived in this direction with these values, these priorities, these attitudes, these words, these behaviors, but I repented of that. I recognized it to be wrong, and I started to live in a different direction, the one of following Jesus. Jesus said, produce fruit that reflects that repentance. In another passage, Jesus said this, remain or abide in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must stay connected to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you stay connected to me, Jesus. Not every once in a while, but stay connected, abiding in him all the time. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide or remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will show the evidence of being in a relationship with me. Uh, apart from me, you can't do that. This is to my father's glory that you bear a lot of fruit, showing yourselves to be my what? My followers, my disciples learning a way of life from me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and do what? Bear fruit, a fruit that will last, moving from success to significance. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This, this is my command. Let's just start with this kind of fruit. Love each other. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, this kind of fruit, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. People will see the fruit, the evidence that you are in fact a follower of Jesus rather than just a fan based on how you love others in your life. Here's an interesting passage. This, this like disturbs some people. Like, how could Jesus be so rude? Okay, listen to this passage. He says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers, like his own family, they stood outside waiting for him to finish. But they wanted to speak to him. So someone told him, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, but your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. Look at Jesus' response. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I mean, really, who's my family? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that's my family. That's who I know. They are my brothers and my sister and my mother. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, starts following me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, this isn't gonna be easy. This isn't gonna be convenient. This isn't always gonna be comfortable. This isn't always going to fit your agenda or your ambitions. For whoever would save his life, he's got to learn how to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find life, the life that lasts. For what does it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits the one thing 
that's truly eternal. He forfeits his soul, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me can't be one of my disciples. So Jesus is just relentless that there's something about following him that results in a dramatic change in our life that we start bearing the fruit, the evidence of of values and morals and lifestyles and, and attitudes and words and behaviors that change because we've made a decision that we're following Jesus. So it's really interesting if we read through the gospels, we study the life of Jesus. There was this interesting phenomenon that we witness. And that is that from time to time, Jesus attracted these very large crowds. People who sort of surrounded him, who had heard of his miracles and they were interested in his teaching. On some occasions, tens of thousands of people listening to what Jesus had to say, watching him what he had to do. He, he was a bit of a celebrity at some level although he was not seeking anything of that kind of attention or popularity. That that was not his ambition. But that resulted because he did so many miraculous things and had such wise and profound things to say. So people were fascinated with Jesus and they were intrigued with him. But not all of them came from a place of faith to follow Jesus. In fact, at one point in his ministry, Jesus begins to recognize that people are coming to find him. Are you ready? People are coming to find him in order to get something from him. Like they wanted some food because he had watched them create, he had watched, they had watched him create food out of nothing and feed thousands. And so Jesus starts getting a whole group of people who just show up waiting for the next meal that he miraculously produced for them. Some people, they were just looking for a miracle. Maybe it was like a healing. They were sick and they wanted something from Jesus or they wanted deliverance from something that was oppressing their life or or maybe they just needed a verdict. Like we see in a couple occasions where people came to Jesus and they were in some kind of like a legal or social bind and like, hey, Jesus, would you decide this for us? Can I get something from you? Can can you help me with, with this issue in my life? On some occasions, they were just coming to watch the spectacle. And so we read in John chapter six of an occasion where Jesus, he said some really hard things and the people didn't like what he had to say. And his disciples came to him and he said, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, that's a really hard teaching. Who, Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you too? Do you not like hearing what I had to say? Asking what I asked? From this time, from this point where he makes this really hard declaration, from this time, many of his disciples, they turned back and they went home. They were no longer willing to follow him. 
They had been big fans up until it got hard, until it got difficult. While Jesus was giving them stuff, they were big fans. But then when he said hard things and he asked difficult things of them, they, they, sh- they shrunk back and said, okay, I'm, we're out. And they stopped following him. And there's this, there's this penetrating question that Jesus asked of his 12 disciples that like disturbs me every time I read it. He said, you don't want to leave too, do you? After all this time, are you going to tell me that you're just my fans? Or are you really my followers? And Peter, who didn't always have the wisest things to say, he nails it on this occasion. He said, Peter answered, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. How about you? What have you come to decide about Jesus? Because what we find is that there's a difference between fans and followers. A fan, they want to just do what they want to do. They don't want any implications. They don't want any inconvenience. I want to follow Jesus, but I want to do it what I want to do. I want to do it my way. I want to still be able to make my choices, do my thing, live my life the way that I choose to live it. But a follower of Jesus, no, what does Jesus ask me to do? That's how I'm going to live my life. No matter how unpopular, how uncomfortable, how socially incorrect it might be, how politically incorrect it might be, I want to do what Jesus asked me to do, not not what I want to do. A fan, a fan asks, what's in it for me? I get my sins forgiven. I get God to help me when I get myself in a pickle. I get to go to heaven when I die. What's in it for me? And, And a follower is asking the question, what's in it for Jesus? Like, what do I bring to the table that he might want to redeem and use for his glory? And am I willing to offer it to him? My time, does he have it? My my energy, am I willing to give it to him? My, My money, am I willing to turn it over to him? My body, am I willing to surrender it to his purposes? What's in it for Jesus? A lot of times a fan just asks, what's convenient? What's comfortable? What's expedient? Jesus says, you want to be one of my disciples? You'll carry a cross. It's not easy. It'll be very costly at times if you choose to follow me. So somewhere between being a fan and being a follower, things shift dramatically. And here's some of the ways that I think it's important that we understand how they shift. We move from a religion about Jesus to a relationship with him. Jesus makes a very interesting statement in Matthew chapter 7. People say, hey, Jesus, don't you remember me? All the things we did. And he said, I never knew you. I'm sorry. I don't remember us ever connecting That word new there is a very intimate term. It's a relational term of like married partners. I I saw you now and then. You showed up occasionally. You you did the things every once in a while to sort of, you know, appease your guilt. But I didn't have a relationship with you. 
That's a difference between a religion about Jesus and a relationship with him. There's a difference between just going through the rituals, doing the things, standing up, sitting down, going through the motions, and then truly responding to Jesus and his grace in our lives, knowing that he died in our place, as Joe was reminding us this morning, and he gave us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, and I respond to that. I do what Jesus asked me to do, not to earn points with the big guy, but to do anything that Jesus might ask because he gave his life for me. The difference between just fulfilling obligations and really obeying Jesus. I'll tell you the church and the tradition of the church is heavy on informing people about these obligations that they must fulfill and that's not faith. That's religion. That's not relationship. Is our heart given to obedience? Somewhere our faith has to move from the things that we collect in our head, knowledge about Jesus, to where it moves to our heart and it changes the way that we live our life. We move from our ambitions, the things that we want to accomplish, to really surrendering and submitting our lives to Jesus. Americans, we don't like that idea. But that's what Jesus calls us to. To move from a life of comfort and convenience, I'll give, I'll serve, I'll love when it's comfortable and convenient for me, as opposed to a life of sacrifice where I give freely whatever Jesus might ask of me. So I'm asking us the question this morning, are you a fan of Jesus? Are you a follower? It's amazing how many Christians I meet and they say, well, I like Jesus the best of all of them. I like Jesus better than, you know, like Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. I, I like what he says better than, that's not the point. So let me ask you to wrestle with three questions. And, and I, again, as, as honestly as I can, how you answer these questions is critical to whether you're a fan or a follower. First question is this. In the privacy of your own head and heart, do I trust in Jesus alone and his death on the cross as payment for my sin for the restoration of my relationship with God because I'm a sinner saved by grace and not works? How you answer that question is everything. Second question, am I humbly, sincerely endeavoring to bring my life into submission to the truth of God's word and obeying its instructions as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or do I go weeks and months and I never even read my Bible? Am I a follower of Jesus where I dive into it with a diligent and disciplined heart to find out what is Jesus asking of me? And the third question is this. Does my life demonstrate the evidence 
of spiritual change and a greater reflection of Jesus to others? Can I track any kind of notable change in my life over the years where I become more like Jesus than how I started and where I began? Because here's a basic principle of life. It's true biologically, and it's true spiritually. Living things grow, and growing things change. If I've truly come to a place of receiving new life from Christ, then I will grow. If I'm giving myself, if I'm abiding in the vine and Jesus is at work in my life, I will grow. And that growth will be reflected in change. Because not everybody who stands before the living holy God someday in eternity will be recognized. I'm sorry, I, I never knew you. But Lord, I did all the things. But we didn't have a relationship. You didn't really follow me. You were a big fan. But you weren't a follower. So here we are. Sunday, June the 12th, 2022. You were here. And you heard, you were made aware that it's possible to stand before God someday only to learn that you were a fan of Jesus, but not a follower. Now it's up to you to choose exactly what you're gonna do with that. Ignore it, dismiss it, repent, The one question in life that you must be prepared to answer accurately is the day that you stand before a living God in eternity and he asks you this question, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should I let you into my kingdom? I hope that you don't get that one wrong. You've heard the warning. Now you make the choice. My hope is that you'll make a wise one.